0: Hi friends, Karen Peddington here, and, uh, I've had a few surprising comments on uh, one of my posts that has gone across a couple different kinds of social media. Uh, I lately have been posting about a few controversial things. I've talked a little bit, not too much, about that big C word, COVID and masks and mandates and all that. I've talked about homosexuality. I've talked about different religions and which religion is right. I've thought it talked about the supremacy of Christ. All these things that are usually hot-button issues. And I've gotten in, actually, some pretty healthy conversations, even with people of other beliefs and other belief sets. Interestingly enough, I have one post. I actually shared a friend's post, and it had such... Um, I had some pretty uh, strong reactions to it. And I thought it was funny. This particular post is what got reactions. And the post was... Basically, don't live for yourself, live for God. Now, if I would think about the number of things that offend people about Christianity, the idea that Christians say they should do what's right no matter what they feel like is not the top of that list. I'm thinking about lifestyle issues, I'm talking, you know, you should do this, you should be this party, all, all these other things, but it specifically was saying to Christians live for God, live according to your convictions. I'm still trying to figure out how that's offensive, right? To say to somebody, live according to your convictions. It's not good to be selfish. And I have had more statements and comebacks and two of my own family members, younger family members, uh, like Children of siblings and things like that. Two of my own family members have been just very much obviously offended by this idea of you should live for something bigger than just your own desires. I, it's baffling to me, and yet it's so clear in this society. I, uh, I had one person say to me, "This was not." of uh, uh, this was not a family member one person say to me well that's just a cop-out to say to live for god that means you're avoiding responsibility and this whole thing about authority is always a grasp at power they're never trying to help. god's never trying to help you god even existed and parents should never tell kids what to do and i mean we've gotten to this whole thing parents should never tell kids what to do or make them do anything they should just discuss the options and let children make their own decisions and find their own consequences and I mean, I'm I'm dumbfounded, trying very hard, you know, want to be respectful, have a good conversation, disagree, but, you know, not demean. And I mean, but the idea to me from any religion that if a three-year-old wants to touch a stove, just ask them not to and let them burn themselves. You know, if a two-year-old wants to go run out into the street, try to reason with them. But if they want to run out in the street, they're going to have to just figure out how to get hit, you know, uh, and. One just said something about man-made religion and how about we never do anything that a man-made religion said. And the next step was, you just can't tell me what to do. That's that's really what the thing was. You, you can't, don't tell me what to do. And another one was, well, it's toxic to say do what pleases God if it doesn't please you to please God. If you don't want to do it and you do it anyways just because God said so, that that's bad for you. That's toxic. And went on to say, you know, God... There's only one thing I can do for happiness. There's only one lifestyle I can have for happiness. And God doesn't want me to have it. So I'm not going to hurt myself. But, and, you know, I mean, are we hearing here? I, I, I hope that some people that listen to this aren't necessarily Christians and are just kind of listening to different views. But are we hearing the mindset behind this? Um, I have friends that are Muslim who would deeply disagree with everything that my dissenters just said i have friends that are muslim that would deeply say they would use allah live by your convictions right live, live by conviction in something and somehow the god of convenience in our society has replaced this idea of conviction i've said this before our nation was founded the United States of America was founded so that people would have the freedom to live by conviction. And now, for some reason, what that's turned to is we have the freedom to live without conviction. We, convenience has exchanged conviction. I don't agree with all convictions, but I will absolutely say I have to do what I want, and if you don't let me, that's toxic. That is not a conviction. When the very foundation of it is, it's based on my ethereal desires and I have to follow every desire I have. Forget Christianity, forget Islam, forget any of that for a second. Let's think common sense. When you get angry and you want to go tell someone off or punch them, do you just do it? You know? If you're married and you look at somebody, And you notice that they're attracted and your brain attractive and your brain wants to bring you down that role of thinking about it, flirting with them, maybe even touching them at some point, because your body wants to do it. You just go and touch whoever you want to touch in any way you want to touch them, no matter whether they want to or not, and no matter how badly that hurts people that are close to you or yourself, some things are just bad ideas. Some things are just bad ideas, and living for the Lord. We have something really it's it's not a kappa. Now I understood what the one person was saying that it's kappa because there is there are many among us who do bad things and use the excuse God told me to do it. I've heard of people who've left their spouses. Faithful spouses. We're not talking about somebody who's been abusive to them or unfaithful. Faithful spouses because they were more interested in somebody else and said, God told me to do it. Um, You know, people who spend money that should be, that don't pay the bills and go buy things that they don't need and say, God told me to do it, that's, living according to what God's will is, that's not do what you want and then then blame God for it, you know, Um, is there room for mistake? Yes, but that's not conviction. There is a huge difference between conviction and convenience. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw out—this is a little soapboxy, so I'll try not to make it that way—giving, giving, giving. giving. There seems to not be a more offensive sermon than the sermon about how we're supposed to give to the church, to God, to each other. And people like to redefine it. I, I have one friend who said, well, I give my time, that's enough. And if you show him scriptures that says you're supposed to give stuff, you're supposed to give in faith from your resources, he's like, well, you're just trying to guilt me into this now, so I'm just not going to do it. Again, I <laughs> this thing of, I don't feel like doing it, and you're wrong if you tell me it's the truth because I don't feel like doing it. My heavens, we've become a nation of spoiled brats. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. There are times I don't want to do stuff. There are times that I get called to the carpet by people who love me who I get challenged where the, the I, I've had to struggle. I've had to struggle a whole lot about the idea of submission. Um, I've had to struggle a whole lot about the idea of I have absolutely been wronged and I want this person to know the pain that I have and I've been convicted through Scripture and through God's Spirit to just forgive and move on. Not always the case. Sometimes you fight for justice. But there are times where you just let it go and trust God. And I don't like that because I'd rather them understand what they did and pay for it, right? So there are times when we all struggle with this. But the reality is it's always best to do God's will. And what I've discovered is that people who fight so much against this have experienced... Rejection and a lack of discipline and rejection. <laughs> it's, there's a fear. There's a fear that if we fully give to God as much as scriptures, and I, I'm not even going to go there with religious authorities because sometimes they mess it up, but, but as much as scriptures and as much as godly good people help us to understand, there's a fear that if we really do give it all to God, that God doesn't have our back. Let's be honest. If I really forgive that, if I don't go after that person for the money they owe me, I won't have enough money. If I forgive that person what they did against me, they'll do it again. The reality is if you don't forgive, they're gonna be hurting you the rest of your life because you're gonna be rehearsing that pain instead of forgiving, moving on. doesn't mean you have to let them do it again, you know? If I give my tithe, I will not have enough. God barely gives me enough anyways, right? This is a lie from hell. God barely gives me enough anyways, so if I give another 10% of it to God's house, I won't have enough for me, so they're just going to have to figure it out. Do you know how many churches are dying because of that? Do you know how many ministers are having a hard time feeding their family because of that? Do you know how many souls, I'm just going to say it, are going to hell? How many people suffer because we want to cling to the thing Because we're clinging to our own fears, our own sense of need for control. My pastor went five years without a raise. He wasn't getting paid enough anyways. And people kept saying, do more, do more, do more. And yet I heard people, godly, godly people. Godly people. Who give, saying, I'll give, but not to the church. I'm going to give wherever I want and God will bless it. In the meantime, what happens if no one ties to the church? There's some principles here, of the good and bad of it all. Malachi three. Will anyone rob God? This is three eight. Yeah, you come robbing me, but you say, "How are we robbing you?" You're cursed with a curse for your robbing. How many times are you gonna say robbing? You know, the whole nation of you. Why? Because they're not bringing their first fruits. Because they've decided, we're going to take care of us, God. And we'll praise you and we'll love you and we'll lift you up. But we're not going to give our stuff to you and don't make us God. But Here's what God says, Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Tithe means tenth. It's very specific. Beyond that, give where you want, what you want. But that first tenth, It's not negotiable. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I'll rebuke the locusts for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will count you happy, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. You're saying... I can't give to God until I'm blessed more. And God is saying, there is a certain amount of blessing you won't receive until you give to God. There's a release of faith. There's a release of trust. There's an investment in eternity. And trust me, it's not about your your tiny little coins. Haggai. Chapter 1, starting verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider how you failed. Now this is what had happened. I'll start at the beginning, I'm sorry. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is verse 2, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of God. It's the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai saying, Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses? While this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you failed, how you've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you that earn wages, earn wages to put them in a bag with holes. Even when you're earning stuff, it's like disappearing. It's like, where's this money going? And you keep saying, God, I can't give to you. I can't build your house. I can't help your church because I have to make sure I'm secure first. And God is saying, you can't be secure unless you're investing in my house. Where do you think your strength is coming from? We have it backwards. And honestly, I'm getting pretty angry about it. I'm getting angry at people who know better, that people who call themselves faithful and ignore what it says so clearly in so many places of Scripture. We're supposed to open our pockets. We're supposed to open our hearts. We're supposed to open our minds. We as a nation have more than almost any other nation in the world, and we as a nation give less than almost any other nation in the world. We are a taking nation and it has to stop because we are taking and consuming ourselves into a pit into early death into destruction into decay it's got to change and it's got to start with the people of God now let me give you a really good example of what happens when we do it right Hezekiah called for a lot of reform he destroyed the pagan shrines and he called for a tithe Here it is. The priests weren't eating enough, and there weren't enough priests. He commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem, this is verse 4 of 2 Chronicles 31, He commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites, so they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the word spread, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, all of the produce of the field, and they brought it abundantly, Brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Isn't that funny? 10%, not 50, not 100, tithe. And when every single person brings that tithe, there's abundance. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the city of Judah also brought in the tithe of cattle and sheep, and the tithe of dedicated things that have been consecrated or set apart for the Lord, their God. Lay them in heaps. In the third month, they began and finished them in the seventh month. So for four months, people came in and brought what they actually were supposed to bring. When Hezekiah and the officials came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people. Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. The chief priest, Azariah, who was the house of Zadok, answered him. Since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have had plenty to spare. For the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this great supply left over. Then Hezekiah commanded them to prepare storehouses, chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. Faithfully they brought the contributions. The chief officer in charge of them was Kaniah. And then, it goes on to say about Hezekiah was able to enroll more Levites, which were the teachers of the law and the servants the priests that were there could barely do their job because they weren't eating enough and they sp- they literally said since now i got to find it <laughs> since they this is verse 10 since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the lord we've had enough to eat and have had plenty to spare you know what yes. that means before people did that we weren't eating right we didn't have what we needed we couldn't focus We, I can't stress this enough. We hold back from God because somehow we think that that's a better idea. We hold back in a lot of ways. I'm talking about our monetary here. We hold back because that, we think that somehow that's going to keep us from destruction. But really, in closing our hands to giving... We're also closing our hands to receiving. And for those of you who might challenge me and say, no, this is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. Let me tell you something. The New Testament, they didn't give a tenth. They gave everything. Acts 2, starting verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute, like all of them, the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Now God does want everything. But the early church sold everything. When they didn't have that thing in place where they were keeping things to themselves, they had a freedom to give everything. So that tithe is a really good place to start. And for those who are saying, don't guilt me. You just want me to feel bad. What do I have to gain about you giving? I'm not your pastor. Over and over and over again, we see how the house of God is blessed. We see how the people of God are blessed when they give freely. They have the joy of giving freely, and they have the security of knowing we are weaving into God's will. You see, I challenge that misnomer. People, Christians otherwise. I, I saw a show where they just kept using Romans eight twenty eight, but they used half of it. All things work together for good. No, they don't. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. If we're living for God, if we're leaning into God's will, that's where the protection is. We don't get to go walk off a cliff and expect God to catch us. There's grace, there's forgiveness, there's learning. We all need it. But stop using that for an excuse to disobey, to hurt yourself, to hurt others. To cling to the very things that are keeping you from full life. And once again, this is a conviction for me. I I preach things like this, I speak things like this, and then throughout the day God taps me on the shoulder and goes, that's where you're not surrendering. And we're all in process, so that is my prayer today. Lord Jesus, I just pray for conviction. I pray for you to release the hearts. I pray, I pray, I pray. For a spirit of repentance to come over this land, that we would see the error of our way. And I pray for those people who literally took offense at the idea of living for you as if that was somehow mentally wrong. As, as toxic was the word, Lord. I just rebuked that lie that living for you is toxic. Living for you is the best choice we can make, God. And I Forgive me, Lord, for the times where I've lived according to that, where I've held on to my own understanding instead of leaning into yours. And Lord, show me today, show us all today, the ways in which we are living for ourselves and not you. Open our hands, Lord, to the areas we should be giving and we don't, for the areas our hearts are hard. Hearts, I can talk. Hearts are hard. May we release our will to you, Lord. You know, that might take some construction work. But we sure need you to work mightily and quick in this nation. Because we're pretty much in trouble without you, God. But we know you can save and bless and change anything. So come do that, God. In your name, amen. Be blessed. May you experience the joy of the Lord and of giving and of conviction and new and glorious grace today.